Hello and welcome to a summer mode episode of The Briefing. Tom Tilly with you, coming to you from a jacuzzi actually. Annika Smethurst is actually with me in the tub. I'll just turn down those bubbles so we can actually <laughs> hear her. Yes, I'm here. Aren't we supposed to be on holidays? I guess this is our holiday. We're just holiday. so dedicated. We're so dedicated. We're just going to bring you some summer episodes, but we weren't that dedicated to get out of the tub. <laughs> All right. It's not true. It's just a facade. But, um, yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> We're doing, um, over the next four weeks, having a break from the daily episodes of the briefings, um, giving you a rest, giving us a rest, and we're bringing you a weekly summer mode episode. Yeah, we're going to find out which stories resonated with our briefing listeners in 2020, and then we'll call those people at the centre of those stories, see what's changed and have a catch up. Yeah, so let's start with Tim, who's been listening to the briefing all year from Malta and he got in touch via the briefing Instagram. Great to know that you're enjoying the briefing all the way from Malta in the Mediterranean. Yeah, hi Tom. Yeah, I have been enjoying it. It's uh, it's been a good way to keep in uh, keep in touch with what's going on back home. Especially the only way I get the news is from my mother. So it's good to know that <laughs> there's no Category Six earthquakes because she does like to exaggerate things. Right. So you can fact check your mum using the briefing, basically. Yes, exactly right. Well, one of the episodes that stuck out to you, obviously, was the one about Australians trying to get home. Let's have a bit of a listen to some of that. Um, we spoke to James Morton, a guy in his 20s who was stuck in London, and Lachlan Kitchen, who was stuck in Dubai. It's been incredibly stressful, and sort of that process of slowly packing up a life and not going home as quickly as I would like to and being tied down is quite scary. It was actually the day after I put in my notice at work that I got notification that all Qantas flights had been cancelled until next year. You go, well, if I can't get home within a couple of months, I'm in a very vulnerable position. What do you say to those people that say, well, the Prime Minister warned you in March, why didn't you heed that call? We're over here with a life. This has become our home. We've got family, we've got friends. We didn't just decide to, oh, you know what? Let's just continue on a Kentucky trip around Europe for the next three or four months. Then when we run out of cash, then we'll decide to come home and the government will pick up the bill. But that's certainly not the case. Tim, that was one of your favourite episodes. Was it because you can actually relate as an Aussie living overseas? You might not want to get back, but not being able to must be incredibly frustrating. Yeah, definitely found the, the episode really relatable. Myself, I'd only just moved um, from Australia to Malta in February, right before everything sort of went a bit pear-shaped. So it was comforting in a sense to be able to know that if things didn't work out for me over here, that I'd be able to just fly back home. But with the way that everything changed, it kind of made it almost impossible for me to do that because I wasn't in a position to book a business class flight or spend several thousand dollars in quarantine because at the time I didn't have an income. So uh, it was kind of good to know that, you know, there were other Aussies out there that were sort of experiencing the same thing that I was. Is it something that you worry about when you left? Obviously, you left before the pandemic. You know, living far away from home, there always are going to be risks, I guess. What do you make of some of those arguments that people think taxpayers should fork out for hotel quarantine or flights to get Aussies back? I found it a bit of a struggle as far as my mental health was concerned because I was isolating in a new country that I wasn't familiar with. I myself sort of avoided some of those news headlines because I, I found it was a bit overwhelming to, to hear about it all the time. It can sound like people when they're overseas are just having a, a, a great time and you're at home kind of jealous, but it's it's not easy being in a, a foreign country and it it can be really scary and I just can't imagine what that would be like 
during a pandemic. How has this year been for you overall? And and how do you feel about heading into Christmas not being with your family? Yeah, it, it is tough um, not being home uh, over the holidays, uh, not being able to go home for Christmas. One thing I think that we can sort of take solace in is the fact that technology allows us to, you know, not just have a voice call with mum and dad, but to actually get on a video call with them and, and sort of at least in some way, shape or form, be a part of, you know, a family celebration, even if I am on the other side of the world. Thank you so much for listening to the briefing and, and getting in touch. It's been great to speak to you. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. Thanks for keeping me uh, up to date with what's going on back home. So that was Tim, who's going to stick it out in Malta, Annika, but we know that there's at least 35,000 more Aussies that want to get home. And I, I imagine a lot of them might be remembering um, this comment from Scott Morrison. I would hope that those who are looking to come home, um, that we'd be able to do that within months. And, uh, and I would hope that uh, we can get as many people home, and if not all of them, by Christmas. What do you make of that promise looking back, Annika? Uh, rookie error there. Don't ever promise anything with a timeline. Of course, they have got a lot of people back since making that promise, but there's more people jumping on that list wanting to get back to Australia every week. So, look, obviously they haven't cleared that list. There's still tens of thousands of Aussies that want to get back And one of them is one of our listeners, Dave. Yeah, Dave Reynolds is stuck in Germany. Dave, you went overseas in August and now you can't get home. Tell us what's happened and how hard has it been to get back? Uh, Impossible is an understatement. (laughs) And what's the backstory? What took you overseas in August? I came over here to see my partner when uh, she came to see her family in uh, April After three months of being separated, I said enough was enough and decided I wanted to come and be with her, having absolutely no idea that it would be impossible to get home again. By the time I finally made it here, it was becoming apparent basically then. Uh, It wasn't until I I, I touched down here one week within landing, I had my first flight cancellation and I I thought, inappropriate language, um, oh oh no, (laughs) this is going to be bad. (laughs) So the PM was saying to people since March, don't get on a plane, don't go overseas. Now, you went in August. How long were you originally planning to stay and how long has it been now? So my first flight home was booked for September 28th. Yeah, I'm I'm still here now. I have a flight booked for uh, January the 17th, which, to be completely honest, I'm not hopeful for. I'm not expecting to get on that flight at all. How much has this sort of stuffed up your life, I guess? Did you have a job back in Australia? What have you missed out on while you've been stuck in Germany? Um, So obviously I've missed out on uh, quite a few things. I've missed uh, Father's Day. I have a son. Um, I've missed my mum's birthday. I'm going to miss Christmas, obviously. And the employer that I worked for back home in Melbourne has gone bankrupt. So I have no job to come home to. So you've got your own experiences, but you're also hearing a lot of other stories from the Facebook group you started for Stranded Australians. What's the common yes. message, experience, and and also, I guess, complaint about the way this is being dealt with? Uh, the biggest complaint would be that there's nothing in place just to get people home. Um, so at the end of the day, um, I'm still an Australian citizen, as are the 35,000 other Australians that are stranded. We all just want to go home. Uh, we want to do what's best for all Australians. We want to keep all Australians safe. Um, and all we want to do is come home, be safe, 
and make sure everyone else is safe and that we're safe at the same time. So whoever's job it is to make sure that there's a safe quarantine system in place, um, that, they just need to step up their game. They need to come up with something better than what's in place at the moment. All right, Dave. Well, yeah, it sounds like it's a, a very tough Christmas for you and we, we really feel for you. We hope there's some some joy that you haven't seen coming yet that will eventually come your way as you have that winter Christmas in Germany. Thanks for speaking to us and thanks for listening to The Briefing. Thank you very much for having me. That was Dave Reynolds, who will be having a fairly quiet Christmas in Germany. Annika, I guess some of your questions got to the point there that people had you know, a lot of information by August to weigh up decisions to, to go away. So some people might not feel a lot of sympathy, even though it's a very tough situation. It's head versus heart, isn't it? Obviously, he desperately wanted to see loved ones abroad and we can all relate to that. But the practical thing was not to leave. Obviously, it was really hard to get out of the country in August, let alone getting back in. We've got just one other person to catch up with who's dealing with a similar but different situation. Jess, you're stuck in the UK You're with your toddler. You wanted to introduce your in-laws to your toddler. How are things panning out now? It's it's been a bit stressful, especially because we've been we've tried so many times to go home. Um, so when we first arrived, we had a flight that was due to leave in September, and um, when we arrived, the UK went into lockdown a week later, and we got in touch with the embassy at the time and found out if we should go home or what's the recommendations, and they said it was best in our scenario because we had. We had some family around and we had saved and we had planned to be on a holiday. So they said just to wait it out until September. Um, I was also a little bit sick at the time and I was told that I was not meant to fly because I'd caught COVID on the way oh. into the UK as well. So it kind of helped us persuade us to stay back a little bit longer in the UK. So Jess, it's hard to quantify, but in terms of uh, flights lost, time wasted, um, of course, you're a doctor and you haven't been able to work in Australia. What has been the actual toll it's taken on you and your family? Is it even quantifiable? It's been very stressful. Um, we had, um, which like our house in Melbourne, we rented out for six months and we were meant to go back. And it's just all our lives have just sort of been pulled up and we've just kind of been sitting in this waiting game for the last couple of months. Because it's been so difficult to go home to, I made the decision that I will go home alone because we're less likely to be bumped as a single business class traveller um, than travelling as a family. So that's going. I think that's going to be the toughest bit, I think, leaving without them. Yeah, it sounds really tough. So what does Christmas look for you guys and, and how do you feel about the way the Australian authorities are handling this situation? Um, Christmas for us, we're still, the UK's still got a lot of cases. Um so it's still going to be in lockdown. I feel like the UK lockdown's been fairly miserable, to be honest. There's not been much that we've been allowed to do. Um, I don't know if we'll actually, we're not actually doing anything for Christmas at all. Oh. Um, when I've tried to get in touch with the various embassies, ministers, the um, DFAT, trying to get help to get home, they've they just said that we were not considered vulnerable and that we would not be offered any assistance. After a couple of emails of me bothering DFAT, they told me that I should just prepare to remain in the UK for a long period of time and I should just get a visa to stay in the UK. I should just get a job and I should just get permanent accommodation here, which I was quite offended by because my life, my job, our family, like it's our home is Melbourne. 
and to not be allowed to do that. And then to be told, you know, just stop trying for now, um, I thought was quite offensive. Oh, that was Jess in London. How tough does that sound, Annika? Yeah, really tough for Jess and her family, and especially that she's had to make the decision to come back to Australia without her family, just so one of them can get home. Yeah, it's an interesting start to our summer mode episode. While so many of us, you know, listening here in Australia are having a good time, it is surreal doing that, knowing what's going on on the other side of the world. Yeah, well, hopefully we can keep the borders uh, not closed, but let those Aussies in that need to come in slowly and in a safe way and keep us COVID safe here too. It's a really hard balance to get right. Yeah, all right. Well, hope you enjoyed our first uh, summer mode episode. Quite a heavy one in a way. (laughs) as we sort of start to relax here. The briefing in its daily form will be back from Monday, January 18. Looking forward to bringing all the big stories that roll out for whatever next year brings. And our next Summer Mode episode will be published next week. And we won't be speaking to you before Christmas, so hope you have a good one wherever you are. Thank you for listening. Hope you have a beautiful Christmas day. We'll speak to you on the next Summer Mode episode. A Podcast One production.